as we enjoy every Sunday hearing from all of you. Thank you very, very much. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, we invite you today to open them to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and we'll be working through one of the narratives in the life of Moses. By way of introduction, it will help to have some context for this particular part of the journey as Moses was called to lead God's people from Egyptian slavery toward the promised land. In this series we've been in called At the Altar, over the last couple of weeks we've met up with Abraham and his family, the ancient family of our faith. And we've acknowledged that altars served as essential spiritual markers in the life of Abraham. And also, in particular last Sunday, the altar we studied revealed how God provided during a time when Abraham was faithful in the greatest test of his life. Today we fast forward now to Moses as he followed God's call to lead the people of Israel to the land of Canaan, the promised land, after having spent some 400 years in bondage as slaves to the Egyptians. Moses would battle his own fears, internal conflict from the people around him, attacks from enemies, and would lack the basic provisions of food and water as people cried out for those items. God had him lead the people through the Red Sea onto dry land, and they found themselves with no water to drink. You probably remember when we did our series, went through our series called the Praying the Names of God. One of the names we studied is the God who heals you. I am the God who heals you. This name of God came about when the people came to a place where there was no water to drink. The water there was bitter in a place called Marah. And they cried out to the Lord. And you remember what happened. God told Moses to pick up a stick. And he did that and then was instructed to throw it into the water that was bitter. And miraculously, that water was turned to sweet, drinkable water. And God promised to His people to protect them as as long as they listened to, to His voice and did what was right. They camped by the sweet water. I believe there were 12 springs there in that place. And the Scripture says there were palm trees. It was their own Palm Springs experience. And then the community from there set out toward the Sinai Peninsula. God had led them the long way rather than the short way up by the Mediterranean. And as they got into the desert called Sin, it's pronounced like the word sin, S-I-N, but it's, in the he- it's spelled that way, but in the Hebrew pronounced sin. And when they arrived in that place to camp, they grumbled because there was no food. And the same God who led them through the Red Sea, the same God who made bitter water sweet, well, now they forgot so quickly, and they complained that there was no food. We'd rather have died in Egypt, at least back there we were enslaved, but we had everything we wanted to eat. Now here there's nothing, and you brought us out here into the desert to starve to death. And Moses didn't even have to pray after those complaints came about. God heard their cries, 
and provided for them. And you remember he gave them meat to eat in the evening and bread in the morning. The meat to eat in the evening was quail and the, the bread in the morning was called manna. And they had all they wanted to eat during their 40-year pilgrimage in the desert as they approached the promised land. This is part of where we see in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God gave them provision each day, not too much, not too little, just enough for each family, and said on Saturday, gather twice as much bread that you have enough for the Sabbath day so that you can rest on that day. And you would think that the people whose bitter water was made sweet, and you would think that the people who were given meat to eat in the evening and bread to eat in the morning would not so quickly have forgotten the hand of God that provided them, but they did. And as they traveled south and camped along the way, they came to a place called the region of Rephidim. This is where Mount Sinai was located, the mountain where God would later deliver the commandments to Moses. And this time they complained because there was no water. They were ready to impeach Moses, to stone him to death. And this leads us to chapter 17. As you keep your Bibles open, we'll walk through this chapter, this narrative today. In verse 1, the narrator writes, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord had commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And we've already said that Rephidim is in the region of Mount Sinai. And we understand, according to Scripture, that God led the people down through the Sinai Peninsula and back up, and it took all of this time, uh, that they might not encounter the Philistines. The easier way would have been the, the road along the Mediterranean. It was only a few days' journey. But there they would have encountered the Philistines very early in their journey after having gone through the Red Sea. And in, in God's wisdom, God was saying that the people were not prepared to face an enemy such as the Philistines, so I'm going to send them the long way through the desert that they might gain strength and maturity and trust and then would be better prepared to face enemy, any enemies later on. And then, very quickly in chapter 2, they quarreled. The scripture says, so they quarreled, verse 2, so they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? The people blamed Moses. Perhaps they had a hard time blaming an unseen God, and Moses was their target. They could see him, and so they felt that it was his responsibility that they came to a place where there was yet again no water. But Moses flipped it around really quick and says, no, it's God you're criticizing, folks, not me. And he says, why do you put the Lord your God to the test? And it was in this time that Moses really struggled and, and had to reach out to God. Verse 3, But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, What 
am I to do with these people? You can just hear it. You can just see it. What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. They blame Moses. Moses, the first response was to throw his hands up to God. He cried out to God. And I hope and pray that you and I will cry out to God when we face situations like this. That we won't blame God, that we will cry out to God and ask God for God's help. As we look down in verse 5, here's what God did. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Now what this tells me in this verse is that Moses was heading the right direction. God did not say, Moses, uh, turn around and go back to the springs where there was that sweet water. Or Moses, turn around and take all the people back to the Red Sea and, and, and we'll part the waters and just take them back to Egypt. God did not tell Moses to do any of that. God said Moses, told Moses, go out in front. That means to lead. That means to go the way that I'm showing you and take leaders with you. He says, take elders of Israel. And he gave Moses a reminder of God's power. He says, take the staff, the same staff that you used to strike the, the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Picking up at verse 6. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders and Israel. They all saw what was happening. And he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Moses, later you'll see that he named the altar that he would build. Here he named the place where these things happened. They were reminders of the quarreling of the people and of the testing of the Lord. Sometimes you and I might do well to name the places where we've struggled, to go back into our past and put a name on whatever that struggle was. Maybe it was marriage struggles. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was a time where we felt like we had failed or maybe some sin in our life or whatever it was. And we can go back and we can put a name on that and acknowledge what it was before God. And that way we know if we're drifting back to that place that it has a name and we can seek God's help to perhaps overcome whatever that might have been. And now there's a, a new challenge. There is an enemy called the Amalekites. And in verse 8, we pick up. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? He says to Joshua, choose people to fight this enemy and then I will be on the top of the hill 
with the same staff that has already been used to bring rock out, water out of the rock. And Joshua followed those instructions. And in verse 10, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Aaron was his brother, and Hur was one of the leaders among the Israelites. And verse 11 says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses, verse 12, hands grew tired, Aaron and Hur took a stone and put it under him, and Moses sat on it. And then Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other so that his hands remained steadily till sunset. Verse 13, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This picture of Aaron and Hur coming alongside Moses is a picture of what I believe has to happen in the church. That people come alongside their leaders and they lift up their arms. That we strengthen each other. And as we make some application, we'll talk a little bit more about how that might happen. And then verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So write a scroll. And then verse 15, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is My Banner. Not only did he name the physical location of where the testing and the quarreling happened, but now he builds an altar and he names it, The Lord is My Banner. Jehovah Nisi in the Hebrew. Because hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord, not only when Moses cried out in prayer, but also here in celebration of the victory that came when people encouraged Moses and helped him to have his arms raised up to God during the battle. And then the last part of that says, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This enemy wasn't just going to go away. So some things that can help us today as we try to apply this story to our our lives as Christian people. The first one is this, we will experience the wilderness. Not if, but when. We will experience the wilderness. It's going to happen. Well-known people in Scripture like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Moses, Jonah, Job, of course Jesus Himself, Paul the Apostle, John of Patmos, and many others experienced wilderness. And some of them experienced depression and really struggled in that way. More contemporary people that you might know, Mother Teresa, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., and Henry Nouwen, to name a few, also struggled in the wilderness of depression. And the wilderness looks different for all of us. But I I want you to know that Moses' story helps us to know that wilderness will come. And that we must cry out to God in the midst of it. That's the second thing. Prayer is a supernatural response to our wilderness situations. we got to pray. Even if it's just 
God help me, even if it's simply crying out to God as Moses did. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message version of the Bible as a pastor and prolific writer, says this about prayer. Prayer is our immersion in the way that God is present with us, whether we understand or like it or not. God is with us in our wilderness experiences. And prayer is a supernatural response in those situations. But I don't know, uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel my prayers are so inadequate. I feel like I just fall on my face in prayer. Sometimes I'm tired and I can't finish my prayer. I don't know if that's ever happened to you or not. Sometimes I just don't have words. Sometimes we just don't know how to pray. Recently, in one of my quiet times, the writer talks of a time that he went to a church to do some consulting. And as they were doing visioning and strategic planning, and he said they had these listening sessions. How many of you have been in a listening session? Raise your hand. You've, a lot of you have been in listening sessions over the course of your life in church. And as he led this listening session, he asked the question, what would you most like your congregation to do for you? And much to everyone's surprise, the answer was from a seasoned citizen who had been in the church for a long time, very well respected, and she said this, I would like my congregation to teach me how to pray. She said, I was baptized at this altar, confirmed here, married here, raised my children here, saw them, my children baptized and confirmed here. I held my husband's memorial service here, yet in all of these experiences, no one ever taught me to pray. Now we might say, well, could she have joined a group? Or did she go to Sunday school? Or did she do some things to help that. I'm sure she did, but at the end of the day, she felt woefully inadequate in prayer. And I believe that many of us feel that way. And my encouragement to each of us is prayer is absolutely important. The lifeblood of the church, the lifeblood of the Christian, and prayer is a supernatural response to our wilderness situations. And we oftentimes learn to pray just by praying. So church, today as we study this passage and draw insight from it, maybe Moses' example to us is simply to cry out to God as a first step in what our prayer life can be. And then there are wonderful ways like the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the, say it, the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer is a wonderful model for us as we seek to learn to pray. Talk to your Sunday school teacher about it. Talk to our staff. Help us to help you in the areas where you would like to grow in prayer. We have a prayer team. Wendell Thomas is the leader of that. Wendell would be happy to help you with some tools to be better equipped in prayer. Leaders, third, our leaders need prayer. 
Your staff needs prayer. Your Sunday school teachers need prayer. Your deacons need prayer. Your trustees need prayer. The church council, who are the team leaders of all of the things, all the teams and uh, that groups that make this church what it is and help it to function, need prayer on a regular basis. Leaders need to be lifted. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, leaders need to be lifted. The picture of Aaron and her lifting Moses' weary arms is what the church needs today. Could you imagine if the Aaron and the hers in this congregation came alongside of the staff and other leaders on an ongoing basis and just lifted their arms in prayer? Could you imagine the power? Could you imagine the encouragement that could be from that? Could you imagine if one day Amanda was out there in the commons and some people came alongside of her and just lifted her arms in prayer? Could you imagine what it would look like if John Greenhill, before he led a retreat for our students, had leaders come up alongside him and lifted his arms in prayer? Could you imagine what it would look like if Philip Brown, before he leads worship, had people come and lift him his arms in prayer? Could you imagine what it would be like for Matthew Hensley, our discipleship missions pastor, if people came and lifted his arms in prayer? Could you imagine what it would be like as your pastor if people before the worship service or sometime during the week came by and just lifted my arms in prayer. These things are powerful and they are encouraging to leaders. If you are in a Sunday school class, would you sometime go to your teacher and lift his or her arms up in prayer? Would you see our deacon leadership and other leaders in the church and lift their arms in prayer? Leaders need to be lifted and there is power when that happens. And the last thing that we can take home today is build a, is write a scroll, as God said, write this down and give it to Joshua. Write a scroll, build an altar. We have a mandate to tell the next generation. We must tell the story of God to the next generation. We must tell the story of God as it applies to our lives to our children that they might tell their children and they would tell their children and so on and so forth. God told Moses, write it down, put it on a scroll and give it to Joshua so that he has a record of how I have worked among you and then build an altar. And Moses built the altar and he gave it a name and he called it Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And he exalted the name of God symbolizing his lifted hands to God in prayer and also the way that others lifted his hands in victory over the enemy. And God gives us the same uplifted hands in, in power as we face the battles in our lives today. Psalm 105.5 says, Remember the wonders he has done. And Psalm 78.4 says, We will tell the next generation. We've got to do it. Write your story into the scroll of the next generation's spirit. Build an altar into the lives of the next generation. Like Moses, we will leave a legacy behind. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, Thank you for this great story in Scripture. And thank you for such just real life 
narrative in Scripture. I mean, we can feel Moses' struggle. We can feel his pain. We can hear his cries out to you. And we're thankful that we have this story today to encourage us. And Lord, as we lift our banner today, we lift it high. And we exalt the name of Jesus, who endured the cross and its scorn that we might be saved and given new life. God, if there is someone here today in the sanctuary who has not yet experienced new life that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, I, I pray that you would encourage them to take that step of faith this morning. God, we love you and we know that you love us and that you desire to have a relationship with every one of us. So we pray for each person as they respond to you today. Others might be coming for your church membership by transfer of their letter from another church, a sister church, or a statement of their faith and baptism, God. However that might be, have your way today in Jesus' name. Amen.